Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift my hands up and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest. Thank you, Beth, for that reading. My name is Daniel, and I'm a pastor here at Grace. This is your first time. I'm so glad that you're with us, or if this is your thousandth time. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, This is a community of people who desire to follow in the way of Jesus together, and I don't know where you are on that journey, but we're glad to be in it together. I'd like to pray, and then we'll um, get into God's Word this morning. Father, I ask that you'd speak to us. Thank you that we can trust that you are a God who speaks. God, I ask that we would be attentive to your presence that we might be aware of the ways in which you are working in our lives. We might give you praise where there is places for us to praise, that we might be honest with our laments if there are places for us to lament. Uh, Thank you that you give us the freedom to engage with you uh, where we find ourselves. And God, I ask for those who have come this morning and uh, aren't sure what to expect, I pray that you would surprise them. For those of us who are here and who have come and who do come on a regular basis over and over again, I still pray that you would surprise us, that we might have a sense, a renewed sense of your presence in our lives and the work that you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're starting a new series for the summer, and it's called Life with God, Seven Psalms and Seven Statements. So every other week we're either going to be talking about a psalm or we're going to be talking about one of the seven statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, the I Am statements, where Jesus presents himself and says, I am the bread of life, 
the way, the truth, and the life, the door. And then on the off weeks, we're going to be talking about Psalms. Now, the idea and the hope uh, through this series is that we engage with God in our prayers and with all of our lives and all of ourselves, but that we also encounter the incredible invitation that Jesus extends to us as he calls us to himself um, to trust in him in various ways. And so my hope through this series is that we together would would become engaged with God in a fresh and a new way, that we would sense that God is involved in our lives and that we would even press into greater um, desire to involve him in our lives. So life with God, seven psalms and seven statements. And this morning we heard Psalm 63 read. And in that reading, and I've been thinking about this psalm all week and I've been praying through it, and I think this psalm presents a really great picture of, of somebody who has lived their life with God. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about this psalm specifically. I wanna talk about prayer and the psalms more generally. But I wanna highlight some of these phrases and, and just have you consider how you feel about them. Um, so, oh God, you are my God, Psalm 63, 1. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I read this psalm and I say, I want that life. I read this psalm and I also realize, oh, I don't know if I have that life. Um, and, and it becomes this, uh, these words become an opportunity for me to desire uh, life with God in such a way that, that he is satisfying, that my soul is satisfied um, in my relating to God, that we together as a church, that our souls might be satisfied by what God offers. But this morning I want to talk about prayer, and I want to talk about how the Psalms might help us learn how to pray. Now, the Psalms are not foreign necessarily to us as a church. The Psalms inform a lot of how we think about prayer. We have Psalms retreats, and so some of you, if you, what I'm going to say you've heard before. Others, maybe you haven't heard it. But either way, this is an opportunity for us to re-engage some of the ways we, we think about and talk about prayer. And so here's my question. What is your prayer life like? What is your prayer life like? Do you pray? Do you pray as often as you'd like to pray? Do you feel as if you should, for some reason, be praying more often? Do you feel as if the, the content of your prayers uh, needs to change or shift? Do you, do you have a hard time praying for yourself and it's easy to pray for others? Or is it you have a hard time praying for others, but it's easy to pray for yourself? How do you engage what's going on in the world in your life with prayer? What can we expect from prayer? I mean, these are the questions, I think, when we talk about prayer that come to mind. But what is, your, what is the nature of your prayer life? Do you pray? Here's an extended quote from somebody I love. Her name's Barbara Brown Taylor, and she talks a lot about spiritual practices that help form us in the way of Jesus. And she wrote a book called An Altar in the World, and she has, she has this chapter on prayer, and she says this, 
Now, I know that a chapter on prayer belongs in this book, but I dread writing it. I have shelves full of prayer books and books on prayer. I have file drawers full of notes from courses I have taught and taken on prayer. I have meditation benches I've used twice. Prayer mantras I've intoned for as long as a week. Notebooks with column after column of the names of people in need of prayer. Isn't writing them down enough? I've invested a small fortune in icons, candles, and monastic incense. I am a failure at prayer. When people ask me about my prayer life, my mind starts scrambling for ways to hide my problem. I start talking about other things I do that I hope will make me sound like a godly person. I try to say admiring things about prayer so there can be no doubt about how important I think it is. I ask the other person to tell me about her prayer life, hoping she will not notice that I've changed the subject. I would rather show someone my checkbook stubs than talk about my prayer life. (laughs) To say I love God, but I do not pray much, is like saying I love life, but I do not breathe much. Do you resonate with that? I hope so, because I do. Uh, I, I, there's this sense in which we, when we talk about prayer, we think about prayer. There's, we know and feel a desire to do it, and, and yet can't either bring ourselves to, to do it, or we don't feel we're doing it in the way we would like. And there always seems to be this sense of, of, not, of not praying or not having a life of prayer that we feel we need to have. And so I want to talk about prayer this morning and talk about the importance of it and also how it forms us and how it shapes us. And I don't think anyone would disagree that prayer is a significant part of what it means to live life with God. But I do think that it's sometimes difficult if we haven't been people who have prayed or if we find ourselves in a position in life where we've stopped praying for whatever reason. So what do we do? How do we get back on that practice or in that practice of prayer. Where do we start? How do we pray? What should we be praying about? And that's where I think the Psalms actually help us. The Psalms provide a a context. They give us language for how we might engage God in a way that is truthful and honest and requires all of ourselves, nothing less than everything of who we are. One of my favorite quotes about prayer comes from Dallas Willard, and he says this. I believe the most adequate description of prayer is simply talking about God, talking to God about what we are doing together. This description of prayer, talking to God about what we are doing together. But I, 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 though I love this, this quote, it raises a whole lot of questions. So what, is it, what does it mean to talk to God? What shape does that take? And what exactly are we doing together? In this statement that Willard offers about prayer is this assumption that there is a deep relationship at play, that God is constantly involved in our lives, that we are involved in what God is up to, and that there is a connection, there is a walking together, and we are communicating with God about what is going on. This is such relational language. It implies a deep sense of connection between God, between us, and it informs the way that we pray. But again, what shape does that take? Where do we begin? What language do we use? And that's where I think the Psalms come into play. 
Now, if you, you know, if you've been a part of a church, you know what the Psalms are. It's this collection of, of 150 songs or prayers that the people of Israel prayed, right? It, it was collected and compiled, and that there's this sense in which they were, they were given to the church as a gift to teach us what it means to pray, to talk with God. And there's almost this implication that they, because they've been compiled and they, because they've been handed off to the church, that, that they become a school in a sense of how to pray. That prayer and talking to God is something we learn how to do. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. When Jesus prayed, Jesus no doubt would pray the Psalms. When the disciples would pray, when they grew up in, in the Jewish context, they would be praying the Psalms. Throughout all of church history, this is what we do together as the people of God, is we pray the Psalms, because there's this assumption that we need to learn how to talk to God about what we are doing together. I grew up in a context, and I don't know if this is true for you, in which prayer, at its best and most authentic, was spontaneous. Right? Like I, I had to come up with prayer. I had to come up with things to say to God. And I don't know about you, but there's always this, this little bit of anxiety, right? When, when, when say, people say, okay, let's pray together, and we all close our eyes, and then it's silent, and then you wonder who's going to start, right? Because that hasn't been decided yet. Uh, usually someone says, okay, you know, I'm, I'll close it down. But then it just, we go in, and okay, who's going to start? And then, okay, well, what are, we, what are we supposed to say? Now, that's in a group context, but what does it look like even individually, I wonder for you, if, if, if you're having a hard time praying, might it be because when we go to pray, we don't know what to actually say or where to start? There's this sense in which it needs to be spontaneous and authentic, and the only way that that happens is if we come up with the words ourselves. But the Bible suggests, scriptures suggest, that yes, that is, that is definitely a form of praying, but that we have language given to us to teach us how we might pray to teach us what we might pray. What does God concern himself with? What do God's people concern themselves with? And how might that then inform our prayer lives with God? John Calvin called the Psalms the anatomy of all parts of the soul. That what we see in this, in this book of prayers and songs, this, this school of prayer, is that it uncovers all of who we are and that there is nothing that cannot be brought before God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about the Psalms. He says, wherever the Psalter, which is the collection of Psalms, is abandoned, an incomparable treasure vanishes from the Christian church. With its recovery will come unsuspected power. See, the Psalms offer us this language, they provide for us a guide of how to engage with this God who is engaged with us. They, they, they call forth from us everything within us, everything, what makes us tick, our emotions. There is nothing off limits before God. And if we lose the Psalms, and if we lose their honesty, if, they, if we lose what they provide for us, then we lose the ability, I think, to be able to pray in the way that, that God has allowed us to pray. Ellen Davis, an Old Testament scholar, says this. She says, The Psalms show us the words of those who have learned to praise God 
in freedom. Sometimes the psalmist's freedom before God is astonishing. It confounds all ordinary teachings about prayer. Now, I love that sense that they they show us a people who have learned to praise God in freedom. Now, this word praise, if you look at the the book of Psalms and you go from chapter 1 all the way to 150, the trajectory of prayer, it seems to suggest, will ultimately end in praise. The last five Psalms are all praise. Praise the Lord, and then it continues. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. As if a life of prayer, a cultivated life of prayer, will always end in praise. But because that's true, there's almost an assumption that that we have that all prayer and right prayer needs to be praise. But the Psalms say, no way, that isn't true. A, A life of prayer, a praying life, is a life that recognizes that there are seasons, that there is a terrain to the spiritual life, to our praying with God. Yes, it may end up in praise, but there are valleys, and there are mountains, and there is everything in between. Consider for a moment praise that is praised in freedom. Prayer that is prayed in freedom can only make sense of psalms like these called the lament psalms or the psalms of complaint. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 22, which is the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. And then Psalm 88, which most lament psalms have a turn of praise or a turn of hope. Psalm 88 just takes us all the way down. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes... My eye grows dim through sorrow, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? There's this sense in the Psalms that there is nothing off limits, that God calls for all of us, for all of us to be in relationship with God, our complete and utter selves, completely honest, And only then might we have a life that is formed toward praise. But we will never get there if we do not first lament. See, the Psalms, if you were to go through, offer us a spiritual terrain of what life with God looks like. And certain scholars have suggested there's a form to our spiritual life, which is something like orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. And these are some of the three primary Psalms that, that... are in the book uh, of of the Psalter. It's this suggestion that these psalms of orientation really suggest that that life with God is going good. Things are fine. It's it's not a mountaintop experience, and it's not an experience in the pit. There's this sense that, that where you are is, yeah, you feel in some ways closeness, and and, and you feel like um, things things are going okay. But then there's, there are these psalms of disorientation, which I just gave you examples of those. This sense in which we cannot help but find ourselves in the pit. 
and there is nothing we can do to get out of it. We are, the life that we knew, our life with God of how it was, is no longer. And we are completely disoriented. We are completely undone. Now, have you had those experiences? I mean, I know enough of you to know that you have. So what, what language do you have to bring that before God? See, what's really interesting about the Psalms is, now I've read the Psalms a lot um, throughout my Christian life, uh, but there are certain places in your life when you need the Psalms. About seven years ago, uh, my wife and I, we, we encountered an incredibly difficult um, loss, and, and it completely undid any sense of, of, of what I knew about God. And this wasn't the only loss that, that we as a family had, had experienced. It, was, it felt like there, were just, there was a loss after loss. And, and I, didn't know what to, I didn't know how to pray. Um, and I do remember praying once, because I was, I was on staff and I was working. And I remember being my, in my office, and I, just did, and I was the middle school um, pastor then. And I just said that I paused. I'm like, that's so funny that I was a middle school pastor then. But um, I was, and a lot of the students are graduating, and I've never felt older. Uh, and but I remember being the middle school pastor, and I remember not wanting to go to youth to youth group that uh, on a Wednesday night. I could not figure out how I would muster up the the um, the courage to do it. Uh, not even courage. Just um, I, I didn't really care. And I remember praying uh, in my office, and I said, God, I feel like this is all BS. And in my prayer, I did not say BS. Uh, and, 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 I, and I said, I, I don't know. I, I just I don't feel like I know who you are uh, anymore. And I don't know what to do about it. And I didn't have anything else to say. I just remember feeling completely and utterly helpless. And, and I'd love to tell you that, and then all of a sudden, things just changed. Um, but that didn't happen. It felt like that was a season of life that, that was a pretty long and extensive season of, of just not knowing uh, what, how to engage God. Uh, and, and I went on a psalms retreat, and I was helping lead that psalms retreat, and on the night when we were to, we talked about lament and we had to form our lament was a really impactful and like powerful night. And if you've been on the Psalms retreat, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, we will, we do them um, annually. So please be on the lookout for them. They are a remarkable and transcendent experience. But I remember in this night of lament, uh, my wife and I praying and, and offering a lament uh, for what was going on in our lives. And it, it was a, it was a, I can't even describe what it was like. All I know is that, that I needed the Psalms in that moment to be able to do that. What was so crazy is that the next morning I had to speak, talk about new, new orientation, the Psalms of praise. Uh, and I remember um, when I was going to teach that, I walked up to the whiteboard and I, and I wrote out, I don't want to do this. <laughs> um, and because I didn't know how to make the turn from to disorientation, to new orientation. And what the Psalms actually provide is a certain level of, of honesty to say, yeah, that move isn't up to you. 
and, and that's why I felt like I was able to talk about it, because uh, I knew I wasn't there, I knew where I was, but I knew what I needed, which was the activity and involvement of God in my life. But I knew also that I wasn't going to make it if I didn't bring all of myself to God in that season of disorientation. So what the Psalms do is they allow us to locate ourselves in our life with God of where we might be. And they give us language to how to talk to God and live life with God in whatever season, wherever we find ourselves. And without the Psalms, I just don't know if I would have had language to be able to talk with him. And when we stop talking to God, all of a sudden, there's this sense that God is distant, that God isn't near, that God has no bearing on actual real life. See, the spiritual fathers talk about this with language of called consolation and desolation. That the church fathers say that there, there are seasons of life, there's, there are seasons of consolation, and usually these happen like at the beginning of our, of our life with God. Oh, this, this sense of, of new orientation, everything is exciting. Things are good. You feel like when you read scripture, you are seeing something new every single day. When you are praying, you feel like you are receiving the voice of God, and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And that those seasons then sustain us. But then there, is, there are these seasons of what's called desolation. And these are the Psalms that say, God, have you hidden yourself from me? Why have you left me? It's this feeling of God and your relationship to him being completely and utterly undone. You don't know where God is, and you can't seem to find him. The way that you engage scripture no longer makes sense. There's nothing in here for you. The way you pray, it feels like, am I just talking to a wall? Does this even matter? See, the Psalms suggest that, that there are seasons to life and that we are given language of how to engage with God in those specific seasons. Consolation, new orientation, praise the Lord. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Consolation, new orientation, things are good. But how long, O oh Lord? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you hidden your face from me? Desolation. Where are you? Where are you in your journey with Jesus right now? Consolation, desolation, or maybe just complete and utter apathy. I'd like to suggest that apathy happens when we lose the ability to lament in times of desolation. We begin to not care we begin to not involve God in our lives when we don't have language of how to engage God in those moments when it feels like he is so far away. And when we lose the ability to talk with God, desolation turns into apathy, which turns in, in my opinion, to either not necessarily rejection, just a slow and waning sense of, man, wasn't that nice? But that is kind of long gone, and this is my life now. Is that where you find yourselves? Consolation, desolation. And the Psalms offer us language 
of how to engage God no matter where we are. And it suggests, this is what the Psalms suggest, that this type of language is only possible, is only possible when you recognize that God is somebody who allows it and desires it. That he wants all of you. What he wants from you is, is, is complete and, and utter involvement to the point where you are, you are yourself before God. I was talking with a friend this last week, and we were talking about how there's this image that he was sharing about being with God or God accepting him just as he is. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, wow, how often do I interact with God just as I am? Not just as I, how I think he wants me to be or how I should be, but truly how I am. And I've shared this before, but one of my, I think, uh, and my oldest uh, also experiences this, there can be a real fear of, of giving oneself completely and wholly to others, but also to God. And so therefore, I, who I am at my core, will always feel in some ways not loved. Because I am not giving or, pre- or presenting myself as I am. And in my prayer life, I can do the exact same thing. Instead of being with God where I might be in the psalm and using the language that the psalms offers to be with God, wh- who I actually am, what I begin to believe is that God is, is, loves me only if I'm a certain type of person. But if I, like back in the day when I was doing middle school, if I can just be honest and not have the most um, good language uh, before God, then perhaps I can start to believe that truly who God wants to be in relationship with is me. At my most improper my most unclear uh, and just self. Do you, do you believe that God wants you to be yourself before him? Are you giving yourself to God? Because if you're not, chances are you won't feel loved by God. Because you can't have it both ways. So how might prayer form us then? How might prayer and, and the Psalms form our lives before God? If we are called to be involved with God in such a way that we are giving ourselves, our conversation, our language to God, how might it form us? And I want to suggest three ways. Our imagination. First, it forms our imagination. If we involve God in our lives through prayer, it will form our imagination because we will begin to believe or come to a more stronger, deeply felt belief that God is a God who is involved. God is an involved God in the matter, in the nature, in the nitty-gritty of what it means to be a human being. If we lose prayer, and if we lose the Psalms helping us to pray, we will start to think that God is not an involved God. We will start to believe that God is somewhere far off or non-existent and doesn't really care about what's going on. 
But prayer brings us into it. Eugene Peterson talks about prayer, our prayers to God being the second word. Because the first word is God's speech to us. That God has already spoken creation into existence. God has come to us in Jesus. He is the word. And we, in our prayers, are responding to God's word to us. That's a God who is involved in the flesh and in the blood of what it means to be a human being. But if we don't pray, and if our prayers are not shaped in some ways by the Psalms and the language that it offers, then we will begin to believe that God is not a God who is involved. So it also forms us in our imaginations in that we become, or we learn to see ourselves as a storied people. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we ourselves are wrapped up in the story of God. The thing about prayer is that it reminds us that there is an external other, God, who is at work and involved in our lives, and who has something to say to us about our lives and about the world. But if we lose prayer, and if we lose engaging God in that way, we start to forget that we are part of that larger story of what God is doing in the world. And the beautiful thing about the Psalms is that in some ways it begins to help time and space Help, helps us to see it in the way that God sees it, that time becomes this, this thing that, that God has worked in history, that God can and is working in the present and with hope that God will work in the future. But that also this space, we've talked a lot about the already and the not yet, that somehow God is active and involved in our lives, and therefore that praying matters. But in what way? Does it matter? Is it simply like magic incantations to get God to do things so we say the right prayer so that he'll actually act? Or is it primarily about us and changing our perspective about the world? Neither are true. It's about speech to God in the, in, within a covenant relationship. And that prayer has an effect on me, it affects God, and it affects the world. That prayer actually has possibility and effect because it takes place within this covenantal relationship with God. And these prayers that the Psalms offer to us are prayers that connect us to the history of what God has been doing in the world and in his people. Now, they all, it also prayer and the Psalms form us in, in helping us to become a people who are dependent. Dependent on God for life. What do I have that I did not receive? is a statement that Paul shares. What do we have that we did not receive, that we have been given things by God, that we have been given life, that we have been given this by God? And praying and involving God in that helps us to form us in such a way that we become dependent upon God for our very lives, become dependent on God for, for guidance of what he might have for us. They also, it also, prayer forms our longings. In our life with prayer and God, what becomes cultivated, what becomes formed in us, is that we begin to want the right things. We are people of desire. We desire things. And often our lives are formed around what we desire. And as we involve God in our lives and we recognize that God has involved us with him, then our longings become formed in such a way that we long for what God longs for. We begin to see injustice 
because God is a God of justice. And we begin to name things as unjust and as not the way they're supposed to be because we know through our life with God how things are supposed to be. We know how Jesus has been in the world. We begin to see other people in a way that God sees them with dignity, with actual things to offer us and one another. Prayer begins to form us together in in opening our minds to be able to, to have an imagination of a God who is involved and that we ourselves are storied people, that we are dependent on God, on God for life, and that we begin to long for that which God longs for. And the Psalms offer us an opportunity for that. So here's what I suggest to you as a practice for this next week. I'd like for you, um, or I encourage you, to pray through Psalm 63. To read it, to consider it, and to pray in in reference to it. So what does that look like? Well, I'm just going to give you a quick, brief example of what that's looked like for me. So when I've been going through this psalm, uh, I will say something like, I will read through the psalm, and then I will take little phrases that, that do something. And, and I call, for example, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. I stop and I think, do I seek God? God, do I seek you? What does it mean to seek you? Do I want to seek you? Help me to want to seek you. My soul thirsts for you. God, do I thirst for you? If not, what do I thirst for? I mean, this, this, this is an example of how I've been praying through the psalm. I offer it to you as a suggestion, um, perhaps as a practice that you might engage this next week, to involve God in your life and to let this psalm give you language or create dissonance or tension so that we might be formed through our prayers. Because as I've been praying through this, what I recognize is that I seek a whole lot of things that I wasn't even aware of, that I thirst for a lot of things that are usually self-centered, and that what satisfies me isn't God, but in some ways what I'm able to accomplish or what I'm able to do with my time, that those things are the things that matter. So the Psalms and praying through them actually form us and shape our imaginations and get us connected and engaged with God in a way That means he's engaged with our life. And I really do think that this is a way toward prayer. And I think if if I could name something, I I wonder, I do wonder this, if our church has been in a long season of desolation, that the consolation that we might have had years ago was wonderful and good. And perhaps there's been this long season, and we could probably name a whole lot of things and reasons for why this is, There could be this sense of desolation. Where are you, God? What are you doing? What's our identity? What do you have for us? Questions like this. And so perhaps, as we begin to be people in that season, and and I really sense that there's a possibility, like, of new orientation for us. Like, I really believe that. And we might be stepping into that now. But we need language to be able to come to God, to give him, to give him what it is we are, where we are in this, so that we might be open for the surprise of his activity in our life. Because new orientation is always surprising. New orientation is always a gift. And I want us to be people who are 
open and ready to receive it. And like I said, I believe that that's beginning. Like I really have a sense of that, and I'm very grateful for it. I'd like to pray, give thanks to God, and then we'll transition into communion together. God, you are the God who works in us and through us, and you work in the matter of life, in the flesh and in the blood. Thank you. Thank you for involving us. God, I ask that you would, that you would compel us to offer our speech to you in response to be people who are formed by you in our communication with you. Thank you that you want nothing less than who we are. But help us to trust that you are the God who wants that, that you are the God who, when you receive it, you do not turn away, you are not disgusted, but you are open-handed, and you receive us just as we are. Help us to acquire language so that we might praise you, so that we might remember the ways in which you have worked. And God, I I do ask for us as a church, for the church as a whole, that you would continue to to work in such a way that you you bring us into a, a renewed sense of your presence and activity, that we would know our place in that. But thank you, God, for for being faithful always and forever with us. Thank you that you allow us and welcome us to participate in life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.